Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from our handicapped cabin on the... Handicapped. Harmony. Handicapped. Harmony of the Seas, sailing in the middle of the beautiful, balmy Caribbean. And we are here in 75-degree weather. Not trying to rub it in. No, we would never do that. And this episode is called Beating the House. Do we want to talk about that now? Oh, you bet. We never gamble. It's not that we're not opposed or... Well, we don't like to lose our money for no reason. I don't think there's anything wrong with other people that gamble. Let me put it that way. As long as they are moderate in their behavior and don't run themselves and their families into the poorhouse, it's just that losing money is not fun for me. Right. And so many times Losing money at gambling. Losing money is fun. Well, I don't get any enjoyment from losing money money in a casino. No, I don't get any enjoyment from that either. That is kind of like gambling. (laughs) Anyway, we've been to Las Vegas many times, never touched a slot machine, walked past all the tables, and never participated, and we're very happy to be in Las Vegas. But here on the cruise, we decided to join a group (laughs) from Cruise Critic. If you don't know anything about Cruise Critic, it's a website where uh, people who are about to take a cruise together um, pool their resources and make kind of like a private Facebook page where they put up all these comments and ask each other questions and organize shore excursions that they might want to take or activities on board. Well, we should mention that Cruise Critic is a site that you should be a member of anyway. If and, you're a cruiser. Yes, and what you do is you look up your cruise to see if there is a meet and mingle group that has started. If not, then you start one. And this is a place for people to share information about their upcoming cruise. And frequently, as she mentions, people will be setting up you know, individual private shore excursions or they have tips about, you know, like where to stay before you go, cheap airfare, you know, all the all the information that you are Seeking, and it gives you a place to share before the cruise. And then when you get on the cruise, the cruise line, i.e., in this case, Royal Caribbean, has a meet and mingle gathering, which you actually sign up for, and it is a invite-only event for the people who have signed up on Cruise Critic to participate in this event. From my perspective, um, I give kudos to you for wading through the literally hundreds and hundreds of pages of right. comments that people make. Understandably, many of them are excited about taking the cruise, have never been on a cruise, have a lot of dumb questions about cruising. And so you have to, from my perspective, sort through a lot of chaff to get to the wheat. But the wheat is good. And the meat and mingles that we've gone to, I have found to be less than satisfying. They seem to be um, an excuse to shake down the cruise line for free tchotchkes. <laughs> oh, gee, too bad. <laughs> they always raffle off some bottles of booze or lanyards. Well, or yeah. Well, everybody like got a lanyard today. Yes. Because of the cruise, cruise critic getting back to the beating of the house, uh, we did something we have never done before, which was a slot pull. Well, yes. A subgroup of the cruise critic people, anybody who was interested, met in the casino, and each 
gave fifteen dollars nope. right. to a group pot, and we <laughs> pooled our resources in this group pot and pulled on a slot machine. So everybody got five pulls. And on we, a three dollar machine, we put in about six hundred dollars, and at the end of all this pulling, my uh, dislike of gambling was <laughs> it was confirmed <laughs> because we ended up with well, and, and we should say because everybody gets five pulls, and then they split up the money that was earned or went won at the end. But the fact that we pulled so if somebody wins a thousand dollars. We pulled six hundred dollars and ended yeah. up with two hundred and forty. Gives Oops. you some idea about what the odds are <laughs> in a casino on a cruise ship. But these bright people who organized this, kudos to them, then took our whopping two hundred and forty dollars. Well, rather than splitting the two hundred and forty among fifty or sixty people, you know why bother? And we took the group over to <laughs> the roulette wheel. Another and great, another great with odds. great great odds. And we well, no, you have pretty good odds here. We put our money on black <laughs> and won. We couldn't believe it, and we still were not at the even, even point, point even then. So we put our money. So we're up to four fifty now on black again. And one again. This was a group decision. And the cheer that went up from our group was deafening. Everybody in the casino turned around and looked at us. But the bottom line is you and I each cleared $7. In addition to the 15 that we put in. So that's a that's a 50% return in a day. So now I'm a confirmed gambler. Are you really? You're going to go back down and put your money back into the slots? So we've ripped off the cruise line. Yay! And the other thing that we're going to do with Cruise Critic, which we've never done before, is you may not realize it if you haven't cruised, but there are many different kinds of cabins on a cruise ship, which makes selecting your cabin when you first book some sometimes a bit of a mystery and a challenge because the prices vary quite significantly depending on what kind of cabin you get. When we were young and very poor, we always booked an inside cabin, which meant that you had no view at all, and when you went to bed, you slept for 14 hours because it was so dark in there. You never knew when to get up. We even had bunks. Yeah, that's right. Um, But then, um, as with certain kinds of RV experiences, once we had a balcony room we never went back right and so on this cabin crawl which we're doing in a few days it gives you a chance to take a look at other people's cabins from various kinds of categories and as i mentioned we are um in a handicapped cabin uh which would be very interesting to show that i think we have more floor space than we do in the motorhome it feels quite luxurious and of course the main purpose of that is to give a person who needs a wheelchair room to maneuver so it makes it very spacious but it does impact a bit on our bathroom facility well it's it's a very interesting setup here because like under the desk no uh, drawers so that a person could wheel up under the desk and in the bathroom there's there's space under the sink and the shower has no threshold so you can just roll right in and it has a seat and it's huge so the bottom line is is you get a bigger cabin you get now, more space but not more now storage. we are not being selfish <laughs> No, 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 because thank the Lord we don't yet need a handicapped cabin. And when we booked it, it was with the understanding that if some handicapped person needed it, we would feel freely move to somewhere else. Yes. As long as we were still on the ship, it was fine with us. Right. So we are currently on the largest cruise ship sailing the seas today, the Harmony of the Seas. And it has, we have, uh, what, 6,280 passengers yeah, on today. Yeah. So that it's uh, virtually full. But we got a, we 
the reason why we booked this well over a year ago is because we got a super deal. And our basic philosophy is is that if you can cruise with a balcony for less than a hundred dollars a day, then do it. It's a super deal. It's a super deal. And this cruise cost us about $1,425. So that's pretty much within the realm of $100 a day. It's always kind of a mystery to me With when the best time is to, to yeah. book a cruise. But if you are like us and don't live near a cruise port, booking last minute, which we know is one way to get a deal, is always a risky thing business because then you have to buy a last minute airline ticket which is never a good deal so because we were able to drive to this cruise from our campsite in the great outdoors we could have booked it last minute but we found out that the people who booked last minute paid a lot more than we did you just never know never know it's all flexible based on what the cruise line wants to charge and so uh, and not really by the the agency that you book with. I think different agencies might give you what they call OBC, onboard credit, which is money in your account on the ship, which is difficult to get out as cash, so you should probably spend it. But they will give you various amounts uh, as an incentive, kind of as a a back payment so that you'll book with them. But basically the prices across the line are the same at the same time. Of year. Of year at the, at the we same think moment. We're getting into high season here at the end of January. As yeah, we're talking well, we to were very surprised to get a really good deal on this one. And there are lots of people paying paying much, much more. And I understand that there are some cabins. I don't think they're in our cabin crawl where you even can have like a butler who waits on you. Where well, are you're going, going to, to any no, of those? going to some of those. Wow. I don't know what I would tell a butler <laughs> to do, but it blows my mind to think of having one. Uh, shine my sandals. <laughs> <laughs> Hang my T-shirt back up on the hook. <laughs> Do you get free laundry, do you suppose? Uh, yeah, he probably does it for you. Well, yeah. this ship is very modern and nice, and we bought our wow bands. And Martha's very excited to have our wow band, and it's right here. It's an electronic watch-looking thing that lets you open your room without losing your Well, it lets you do everything on the ship without... Or buy stuff. Right. This ship, uh, you're probably familiar with cruise ships that have uh, the credit card type of uh, payment system. As many hotels do, too. Well, where you you give them your your real credit card... They apply that to your account, and then you get a, a what looks like a credit card, which is used to purchase everything on the ship. It's used as your identity. It's used to open your room. It's used to safe deposit boxes, everything it's used for on the ship. Well, now they have gone with uh, RFD, radio frequency things, so there's no more swipe. You don't put the card in anything. It's just read right from the card, and when that happens, then you can have these bands that you just put on your wrist. So our cabin room is opened just by passing this thing in front of it. And even though this is supposed to be an RV podcast, I want to also (laughs) add that when you're on a really big ship like this, and really many cruise ships these days, it's to your advantage to go online and book things that you know that you want to do on the cruise ship before you go. They've been doing shore excursions, things you want to do when you're in port um, as a book-ahead thing. And on a ship this size, there are many lavish and 
of impressive entertainment yes. activities, including a full-length Broadway show, which you want to book um, ahead of time to make sure you get to see it. And we were a little bit cavalier about booking our meal times because we didn't want to eat at a set time every day. And we are finding now that we are on board that the times when we want to eat are already booked out. So my lesson learned for sharing with you is that you want to try to book as much as you can ahead of time if you know what you want. Exactly. And we've been very impressed with the shows. Last night we went to a, a, a aquatic show, which they have a pool that has a floor that goes up and down. So it's, sometimes it's a solid platform. Sometimes it's a pool of water. Sometimes it's six inches deep. and Sometimes it's deep enough that they can dive from 50 feet above. And this performance had... I would say 15 performers and at least a comparable number of behind-the-scenes the crew. They had five divers in the water to help the performers. That, that, when they were underneath the water. That we never saw. Right, five uh, support hoses. divers. Yeah. So to have on a ship this large of a cast, and that's in addition to the full cast of Greece, which they must be dedicated to that. They have an ice show which we're going to soon. Often that's staffed by people who competed in the Olympics, so they're really good. And the whole idea of ice skating and throwing people around in the air while you are bobbing around in the waves always boggles my mind. Right. So uh, the ship has a lot of uh, high-tech stuff going on, and oh, we have the biggest TV we've ever had, which is important, a 42-inch flat screen, needless to say. And we are also going to be testing... The Wi-Fi system. Which is the best Wi-Fi we've had on a ship yet. Right. Uh, unlike prior uh, excursions or prior cruises, this one has a daily rate for the Wi-Fi. And we, we used to pay 80 cents a minute to be on the Internet, and now we're paying about $10 a day per device to be on the Internet. And because it's campground slow, when you're paying $0.80 cents a minute, that was a very frustrating experience. And very expensive. Where now, we again, we booked this ahead of time and saved a little money because we knew we wanted to have Wi-Fi on board. We have it 24-7, and if it takes forever, I guess and we're... And Martha has her account, and Ken has his account. I guess we're kind of used to it taking forever because of campground experiences. Well, but it is much better than it ever has been before. Yes. And we are going to be using it for mounting this podcast. So we if, hope. So if you are hearing this podcast. It worked. <laughs> if you're not, or if you're hearing it late, it's because the Wi-Fi on the, on the ship here didn't. Let you down. Let us down. But we're going to give it a try because uh, right here in the transition of the month between January and February, we are. Let's see. see. And we should mention that next month we will also be in a similar situation. Even worse. Even worse, because we're going to Cuba. We leave for Cuba on February 23rd, and we don't get back until March something or other. So uh, we will be once again... <laughs> in a country that doesn't have very good internet. We so we're giving you forewarning. We understand that there is some in Havana, which is very slow, but by the time we get to the point where Ken should be mounting the podcast, we won't have Wi-Fi at all. And as you have heard me complain now and again, uh, these 12 days that we're spending in Cuba are very precious. It's very expensive for us to go there. We may never go there again. And I'm not sitting around working on a podcast when I'm trying to be a tourist. And Trump may not Cuba. let us come home anyway. Yeah, or go, one or the other. So 
we will mount the February podcast sometime. Right. But now we need to talk a little bit about... Uh, RV things. Right. We spent the whole month for the first time at TGO, our home away from home, and we had a very good experience, I think. We like the Atlantic coast. It's at least where we are far less populous than the equivalent side on the Gulf side, which would be the Tampa area. Um, I think if you go down by Miami on the Atlantic right. side, it's very well, built yeah, up and busy camps too. Down there. Well, yes, yeah. people do. Well, anyway, on our side, you don't have to pay to go to the beach. The traffic is less, and it's just a nicer. We're only 20 minutes from the beach, from the ocean, so that's a, a nice convenience. Yeah, if you camp more in the middle of the state, you have quite a long drive to get to the water. But for us, it's it's convenient, and we like the, the east side. Don't we? Mm-hmm. Yes. We spent a whole winter doing research pretty well driving the whole perimeter of Florida. There were many nice campgrounds and many beautiful beaches, but again, we complained to you uh, that we didn't <laughs> like making reservations far ahead of time to be able to stay there during the winter months because that's when everybody's there. And we have kind of a comparison because we went to the Tampa Super Show and we actually saw some and talked to some listeners. Yes, thank you very much for um, introducing yourselves to us, saying hi. We appreciate so much being able to put some faces and names to the wonderful comments that we get from you and emails. And somebody even recognized the back of our RV, which has Visit the RV Navigator on it, and came up and talked to us. So thank you, everybody, for visiting us and and making us feel welcome. But that visit to Tampa kind of consolidated my thinking about the traffic. It was bad. It was bad. It's the kind of traffic. Noticeably worse. That we have around Chicago, and it's not like we're not used to it, but that doesn't mean we don't like it. And for those of you who went to the Tampa Super Show, you know that the traffic was bad. However, we were able to arrive at the Super Show the day before it opened because we knew the right people at (laughs) TGO who uh, booked a group to come in together as a group. And we were camped right next to the buildings that Actually, were... Actually, inside the grounds. ...that were um, housing the show. And we were able to get inside long before all the people who came from the outside who were standing in long lines. The opening day, we heard, was especially bad with people waiting for hours to get off of Interstate 4. Hours to get to, off of Interstate 4. To oh. get into the line to get into the super show. So um, if you are interested in attending the Super Show and have the time and an RV, we would recommend camping on the grounds. Um, Even if you don't have a group, you can even boondock fairly last minute, although I think there comes a point where they shut that down, too. Mm, I don't know. There Um, were a lot of of boondockers. We had friends who couldn't get in that one year. Right. Before we talk about what we saw there, I want to say that we have been doing lots of research for you, and um, we have attended a number of such RV shows over the years and my feeling is this. If you're interested in looking at new rigs in particular, the one in Hershey was very strong in that regard. If you're interested in buying stuff to put in your RV or use with your RV, the show in Quartzsite the same time of year is excellent. But the Tampa show is a good cross of both. Exactly. We walked, I couldn't have said it better. We walked our legs off um, trying huge, to see it all. Huge vendor area with lots and lots of vendors selling nothing new well, anyway that's because we already we already have, do we have everything <laughs> pretty much 
We bought new water filters. That tells you. Well, no, that's a lie. We bought new water filters and we swapped out our satellite dish. Oh, yes, our satellite dish, which was a Motosat, which we have moved from three RVs to our final one here. And we have uh, decided that it was time to swap it out for something new because we were no longer doing Internet which is what it was designed for. It had Internet uh, as its primary function, and it did TV as a secondary function. And the TV worked good, but it wasn't uh, as good as you can get with regular satellite TV with this customized dish, I guess. I've been doing some research, and we bought a RF Mogul satellite dish. And this is an automatic dish that, once again, goes on your roof. A lot of factors to, to... consider here. We use DirecTV and we use it at home and we use it in the motorhome. I take the units out of the house and bring them into the motorhome. I've talked about this before but uh, we get enough comments about it that it's probably worth reiterating. We use uh, in the bedroom we have a wireless connection to the main genie which is the name of the recorder that we have that we bring and the genie is nice and small so that it fits in many areas of your uh, RV, depending on where you want to put it. So the new RF Mogul uh, has a brand new device which uh, does the pointing. So you need another device for the Mogul to work, and that has a GPS in it, and it has the operating controls so that the dish goes up and goes, and it then finds the satellite and locks onto the signal. This is hard to do by yourself. A lot of people say, well, I'm going to have a <laughs> tripod-mounted one on the uh, that I'm just going to mount on the side. They may say it, but they won't say it for long. Well, that's okay if you're just going to get SD, standard, standard signal. But these days, everybody wants high definition, don't they? I don't care. Uh-huh. If you get anything small that's mounted on the ground or roof-mounted but uh, in a dome, those are all dishes that will not receive high definition with DirecTV. Well, isn't another factor if you don't move very often that you can get yourself aimed and set up? Oh, oh sure. But people like us that generally move yeah, every yeah. few days, um, Ken has literally wasted <laughs> one quarter of his life getting our satellite dish aimed, even with the old one that was on our roof that was supposedly self aiming. Well, it, it did a good job when we had internet. And over the years, for various reasons, right. which he'll probably go into and oh, bore you to tears, um, it took longer and longer to orient itself to the point where it was generally taking him half an hour, even with the dish, to right. get everything connected. And lately, much longer. And with the new one, it was less than three minutes, which right. was heartwarming. So this one, I push the button. Beep, 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 beep. And it does its thing, and you've suddenly got the TV signal. For DirecTV, to get to get high definition, you need to receive three satellites, which means you not only have to have elevation, azimuth, which is horizontal, but you also have to have skew, which is uh, tilting the dish to match the orientation of the satellites. Having three parameters to adjust with a tripod is is difficult to get them all to work and you need because they're so precise uh, the 
standard definition that requires only one satellite, doesn't require skew, and so it's much easier to get, and you can get it with a smaller dish. Now, I went with the RF Mogul because when we were in Canada, there were two people who had it, and they received signals far further north than other people. Galling. Well, not than, no, not than us, because <laughs> we had a huge dish. But then the Weingart Little Traveler, for instance. For the same money, I bought a RF Mogul. I thought that one guy got signals better than you. Yeah, well, slight. But, I mean, it was, it was like Even 50 miles. And the, the issue here is the bigger the dish, the further on the fringe area of the reception that you're going to get good signal. If you have solar panels on your roof, don't you also have to watch out where the big dish is in relation well, you, to where your solar panels are? Well, yes, but... It, well, it can't block it or they don't work well Oh, from the sun. Some, somebody it. told me that. I didn't consider that. <laughs> well, anyway, I was able to mount it in the same place as the old one so they don't block the... The solar panels, but you want to if you're going to go to the fringes in Mexico, Canada, and uh, to the far corners of the United States, you need a larger dish. Alaska, Alaska, absolutely, because we even lost signal in Alaska, as we did when we went to Canada, uh, northern Canada, when we went to Nova Scotia last year in Labrador. So when we, in you're in those areas, you need to have a larger dish if you want to continue to receive your direct TV signal. Or or dish. I don't know much about dish, but I know that Directv has something called the distant network, so that I can uh, NBC, CBS, and ABC signals from the west and east coast any place in the United States, which is nice because then uh, we can set up to record those things that we get from the networks uh, any any times, and you don't have to rely on local TV. In order to receive and record local TV, you have to get OTA receiver that attaches to the Genie, OTA being over the air. So we do have that, and that costs about another $100. <laughs> and I have that at home, too, so that we can record and watch over the air uh, channels. So does that give you a complete... You must have some questions. No, I just have some other things to say. Oh. It was incredibly convenient to have the installer of the satellite dish come to our rig while we were parked at the rally, right. remove the old one, put on the new one, and that over the years I can remember a number of things that we have had installed at RV shows in this way. But in my mind, it's kind of like when you go to Costco or Sam's. You can't go with a shopping list because you never know for sure who is going to be there or what they're going to be doing. Because another thing that was on my mental list was we are thinking about replacing our um, electric cooktop with an induction cooktop. And there was only one person at the show who sold them, using them. And he didn't seem very interested in selling them to us or certainly not to give us a good price or come and install it. And so we just put that ha-ha back on the back burner <laughs> to stay for another opportunity to get that little and job frankly, done. And frankly, I couldn't find anybody to sell me water filters. That's right. You had to buy Camp, those Even Camping Amazon. World, who was there, didn't have the water filters that we right, wanted uh, right. in their fairly large store. Quartzite has quirky stuff, whereas this show is much more mainline um, in terms of the things they have for sale and the things that are there. But, you know, I was looking last year, I was looking for a dash cam, and I didn't see any dash cams there this year. No. I didn't see any last year either, no. or the last time we were there two years no. ago. But it's worth it to go with a rally. There are a number of uh, of 
organizations that have rallies that are centered around the Super Show. Various manufacturers right. of RVs. So you don't have to be uh, part of TGO in order to make this happen. But if you're a Newmar or other owners, then they have rallies. It was rallies. a Winnebago one, too, right. wasn't it? Which means you get in a day early and you can <laughs> take advantage of no traffic. And beat the you crowds. can walk. Yeah, yeah. And they have shuttles and stuff to take yeah. you around. But the Tampa show is very nicely organized, and from our perspective anyway, and it's large enough so that you can see all the types of RVs that you'd be interested in and also the vendors. So it's a good combination show because other ones just don't. Some people have mentioned that they went to Chicago or to Richmond or someplace, and they just don't have vendors, or they're all just um, campgrounds that are trying to and sell isn't you a when site. You buy a ticket, you can go for two days. In this case, yeah. Um, It was only $10. And I think if you put in two good days, you could really see a lot and do a lot. Uh, Yeah, it's good. We were there for four and a half, and that was a bit much. But we were trying to see every single thing there, so we could (laughs) tell you about it. (laughs) And one thing that we noticed that we hadn't seen before, in particular in some of the big fifth wheels, is what I would call a home office, a special space dedicated to working in an office. What we saw are gargantuan fifth wheels. I mean, you know, to have a home office in it, it has to be big. But the fifth wheels as a category of RV were huge this year, 40-footers plus were very common. I always think of us as a behemoth as we go down the road, but with a fifth wheel, when you're getting ready to park, you better leave your truck on it. Whereas when we get to a small campground, we can at least take the tote off and just park the motorhome by itself. I think a lot of people don't consider that when they're looking at campgrounds. They look at uh, the fifth wheel is so much longer than we are. And we have an advantage, a big, fairly small one, where when the car is unhooked. And with motorhomes, you've got to park it and get into that campground using the truck that's connected to the fifth wheel. And that's, to me, I've seen it in a number of situations, is a, is a fairly large problem. But this year at the show, these toy haulers that have the huge garage in the back, and then... We saw one garage that was, you, you drove in your car, you hit the elevator button, and it moved the car up to the top of the trailer, and then you could put another car in beneath it. But that was a standalone trailer. But that was impressive. Yes. But we saw also other ones that had two balconies. I know what you call them. Porches. porches yeah. One out the back and one out the side. You know, they flip down. And I don't know what people would be using those for. And then those, I think, are very appropriate for people who take their um, fifth wheel to a campground where they leave it for the right. season. Or if they have a in a desert where they don't want to get sand and so you can go out there and enjoy the the night breeze and not have to get down, on the, down with the rest of the people, I guess. You could use, you could be a politician and use it as a platform for speaking. No, oh, thank you. <laughs> Electric fireplaces were very popular. Both very popular. Everyone had one. And in motorhomes. We personally don't like them at all, but obviously we are in the minority because they're making them in many rigs they take up so much space why not just buy an electric heater for when you need it yes and and it certainly is not a must-have at least well they look kind of fakey i love is that the word i love a real campfire and well but to be fair in many places you can't have a real campfire anymore well you're gonna have that thing and of course now they have led (laughs) campfires 
<laughs> oh, my. Camping has changed a lot in the last few years. But we also saw a lot of what I would call affordable units, um, motorhomes that were well under $100,000 mm-hmm. and oh. small rigs um, that were – they always fascinate me how they use every square inch of space to do three things so you can cram everything in there that you might need. Those were very popular. And we also saw some rigs that are popular in Europe, manufactured by Erwin Heimer. German company? A German company, right. And they're the largest manufacturer of what we call RVs in Europe. And we've always noticed when we visited Europe that there, or, or Australia, wherever you, or elsewhere in the world, that the the rigs are very much different than they are in the United States. One of the primary things is they're designed to be towed by the smallest of cars, and so they're very light. And they had their uh, several models of very light rigs, and then and then they had some uh, nice looking uh, Class Bs were vans so uh if you're looking to pull something and it's and you need something light you might want to take a look at this company and they have just bought road trek so they're also uh <laughs> coming into the north american market in a big way it'll be interesting to see how that that develops uh, another trend i think was the fact that there were so many inexpensive rvs didn't we see i mean it's it was hard to believe that you could buy a 35 foot motorhome for Less than $75,000, but I think we saw several gassers that were in that, in that category. And it always makes me wonder. Certainly, <laughs> you don't need a tile floor. It's beautiful, but if it's too expensive, you don't need it. You don't need real wood cabinets. You can use laminate of some kind. And Corian, cam- uh, and Corian countertops. And those are uh, shortcuts that you can see, and you know they're there. And if that's good enough, it's good enough. If that's all the money you want to spend, that's fine. Yeah, and if you're but I always wonder about... About the mechanicals, because if there's one thing you hear about, it's people complaining about this and that, and that they bought a lemon, and that they're always in the shop, and and that would be very frustrating if you bought a rig that didn't yeah, and these days didn't support are, your lifestyle. These days there are many anecdotal stories about people who have been ripped off and one of the ones that I found most fascinating which you might want to take a look at because it kind of illustrates some of the poor quality construction that you find and that as you go down the road things just plain fall off for this guy it's called uh, tour a defective motorhome with a Norse god and the reason why it's a Norse god is because he bought a Thor and he dresses up as Thor and gives you a tour of the defects in his motorhome uh, this is a video uh, it's done in a humorous way although it's quite serious because he did have some and does have some serious problems with his RV his brand new RV and you might want to take a look and, and consider these things So I don't know, when you buy one that's really economical, are you going to have more of these issues? You have to, I would think. I mean, it's just there is a quality build factor, which I think quality manufacturers can put in. And for me, there's a real line in the sand in terms of how many weeks a year are you going to use this thing. Um, Certainly for us, it was hard to justify uh, an expensive motorhome when we could only, when we were still working, when we had limited time to travel. Or now when we spend month after month in a motorhome that feels like our home, um, you want it to be at least as 
as reliable as your home is if it's sticks and bricks yeah. stuff breaks there too um but that gave me a little pause when i looked at some of these wonderful bottom lines how wonderful they really were but it gets people into the RVing world, and I hope it doesn't give them too bad of a taste in their mouth. That they leave again. That they leave again. But I, I'm hoping that this is a, a good trend, and maybe the manufacturers can, and the dealers can support good aftermarket service. Another trend we've been reading about, which kind of amazes us, because when it gets cold at home, we leave, <laughs> as you well know is that winter camping has become more popular. And certainly if you, if you want to buy a rig for winter camping, one thing I would look at is the thermopane windows because oh, yeah. our old fifth wheel, which we camped in in snow inadvertently a number of times, it was just so uncomfortably cold. Well, not only that, but people complain bitterly about how humid the inside of their RVs get. And the, the reason why is because... You're breathing. You're breathing, and the windows collect the moisture, and then it evaporates back into the air. And that's just just has not been a problem when you have double-pane windows, and I think people just kind of overlook that. If you're looking at a full-time RV, if you're looking at a wintertime camping RV, one of the primary things you need to see is thermopane windows. And then you don't have this problem, except in our case with the windshield, which is not thermopane. So we put a blanket over it. But that's going to cause, that's going to save you big problems and tight-fitting windows. I don't know, the thermopane are just tighter-fitting. They have better uh, gaskets and things, so you don't get air leakage. And ours, motorhome, is quite comfortable in the winter, although we haven't camped down to below zero or anything. And, of course, you have to have an enclosed underbody. Yeah, to me the biggest issue is water, both incoming and outgoing, mm. um, how to keep it from freezing. Yeah, well, if you're just doing it for a limited amount of time, you can always just use your tank, if your tank is not frozen. But it's fairly easy to keep the tanks uh, unfrozen just by using a, a, a light bulb or something to keep the bays warm. But you, have, but you have to have bays to keep warm. and. Inexpensive motorhomes, if you are inexpensive trailers, have their pipes exposed underneath, and that's a major problem from my perspective. Do you have more to say about RV toilets? <sighs> I, lately, I've been hearing all these reports about how people hate to empty their black tank. And there's a company now who's selling automatic black tank valves, which are push button open and shut so you can and do then, it from inside and then you can buy this yes and you can buy this hose for a hundred dollars which is a, a super quality hose that is supposedly stinkless <laughs> for lack of a better word because it it attaches very tightly to both ends and doesn't leak i don't know about the rest of you guys and you'll have to give me some reports by via email but keep it clean <laughs> i just don't find emptying the black tank to be all that much of a problem. And certainly I don't need electric valves to empty the blank tank, black tank. I mean, there's this one blogger who had these put on, probably put on by the company because he gave them quite a rave review. And then he talked about how they cleaned out his black tank. And now it's almost sterile <laughs> clean. This has just not been something that I have. I mean, I do it once a week. I clean the, and I drain and I put new chemical in the black tank. I think we're doing it the right way, but I just, do you notice it's stinking? No. 
Once in, once in a while, someone near us empties theirs, and it's stinky well, you get moment, a little, momentarily. You get a little whiff. Momentarily. But I'm out there emptying our black tank, and I don't hear any, I don't smell anything at all. Good. And I don't get stuff all over my hands, and this is not a Chevy Chase moment where you get out there and the thing, and I don't think people have that. I don't. It doesn't leak. It doesn't drip. It doesn't, I don't know. I just don't have these problems. To me, if you have a bayonet mount type uh, drain, it's just important that you screw it on properly so it doesn't come loose. Yeah, in the well, you of need to. Eat, well, I mean, obviously, if the hose comes off, yeah, <laughs> that could be quite unpleasant. But if you're doing it correctly, I just don't see. And I don't think this has to do with expensive or inexpensive RVs or anything. It's just a matter of. Well, you need a hose that is decent quality that hasn't been eaten by the crows, by the crows, right? But uh, beyond that, I mean, I can't see spending a billion dollars on on hoses and things. It just isn't worth it. And and I have talked about the macerators and and stuff in the past, and so I'm just not just let's just do it <laughs> once a week and we get it over with. And that reminds me, even though we've already left this topic, um, again at the Super Show we saw lots and lots of rigs, motorhomes in particular, that devoted their limited space to one and a half bathrooms. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, a lot of people like this because they wouldn't keep making so many of them. But I would say to, to you po- that if you're looking at your RV, you want to think about how much time am I going to spend in the bathroom as opposed to cooking a meal, as opposed to enjoying my taking um, space. living room, and how many clothes do I want to bring with me, how many closets does it have, how big are they, as opposed to having one and a half bathrooms. And a lot of people say, well, I'm just going to take that extra half bath and turn it into a storage area. But the problem with that is is that with the rear bath, you have to have that center bath available because that's what you're going to use as you're traveling down the road. So the half bath has to be available, and uh, that means that it can't be used totally for storage. And you can, if you delete it, which Numar allows, then you'll have problems reselling your rig because these rear bath units are just super popular. And rear bath means you have to have a half bath for use while you're traveling. What about these composting toilets that I read about every so yeah. often? Do you know anything about those? No, they're not electronic. They don't interest me. Composting? What's that? It sounds ecological, which well, is well, always a good brown idea. Brown liquid that I just spread all over the ground someplace? It said you only have to empty it four times a year, one of the articles I was looking well, yeah, at. Yeah, big deal. Where, where, where will I be in those four times? Oh, you have to plan accordingly. <laughs> Well, somebody's going to have to give us a report about using a composting toilet. Yes, I've heard about it many times. I just don't understand how it compost. Well, there's got to be liquid that comes out, but I guess it goes in the black and the gray tank? I don't know. What happens to the liquid? I'm done thinking about this topic. (laughs) And your cocktails for dinner? Enough, enough. (laughs) Well, I suppose most of you have heard about the AT&T and DirecTV uh, allowing streaming of cable content. This will be very cool if we can keep up uh, the data rate that comes into the motorhome. Uh, but this, I think, is the beginning of the, the major cord cutting because with getting live t- streaming TV from DirecTV uh, and AT&T, this means that you could have a iPad that you can 
connect up to AT&T and watch cable programming on uh, over cellular data. And that's a pretty cool feature. So that you might want to consider uh, looking at this if you're trying to find a new TV service. Because uh, my understanding is is that they allow unlimited streaming of the DirecTV content. And that's, uh, that's fairly cool. And we go from right there to reasons why. RVing is better than living in a house. This is a very good article. I'm glad you found it. Um, We'll link to it for sure. Why RVing is better than living in a house. Yeah, living in an RV is better than living in a house. Hmm. I'll go through them fairly quickly. More time outside. Certainly that's something that we appreciate very much. Right now at TGO, uh, we have spent a lot of time sitting in my lawn chair (laughs) observing an owl that we have on our site that has laid an egg, sat there patiently, hatched it. Uh, I almost didn't want to come away on this cruise because I know that there are a lot of developments that will be happening. growing is all going to be grown up by the time we get home oh no and watching her and her sweetheart interact in raising and feeding this child and flying back and forth i mean bird watching doesn't usually appeal to me because birds move so fast and they're hard to see um but this owl is sitting there right on a tree limb right over my head and the time that i spend outdoors watching her is and we have to say that uh near our camp's ground there are many, many interesting bird-watching sites. Now, I'm not a birder by any means, but colorful birds, big birds, uh, gawking birds are very interesting to, to see just even just because they are. And it's fun to watch them interact, and it's fun to take pictures of them. And this owl has provided us with a really rare opportunity, I think. Hours of joy. Hours of joy, because we're there all the time and we can watch this little baby kind of grow up. And the parents doing their thing, too, because they're always catching little animals to feed and, you know, all sorts of good stuff like that. We hear the crunching of bones. (laughs) We went to the... Uh, Space Coast Birding Festival uh, just before we came on this trip and there are a lot of bird watching areas on the Space Coast where we are. But we should say that at the festival there were also vendors from southern Texas, the Rio Grande Valley Mm -hmm, which is is another great bird viewing migratory area Mm -hmm. um, which we've enjoyed as well. But you've diverted me from the topic about why it's better to to live in an RV than to live in a house. Uh, Reason number two, no lawn to mow or yard work to do. Number three, you can follow the weather or run away from it. Uh, Uh, We like to say that we follow the 70 degrees, and that's how we determine where we're going to be and when it's time to move. And there's some degree of truth to that. A lot less to clean, certainly inside the house. But I don't know. I don't think you clean the outside of our stick-built home as much as you you do our motorhome. (laughs) So that may not be true for you. Uh, you Well, but you don't have those outside maintenance things. to mess around with the air conditioners and stuff. Um, if you don't like your neighbors, you can just move. Um, we've talked about this next one many times. You get a million-dollar view for less than $20 a night. Uh, certainly, Much better than local hotels. Certainly many, many beaches that we've camped on have right. been spectacular. Because you live in a confined space, you spend less of your money on things and more of your money on experiences. And mm. certainly at my advanced age, I have to say that 
I used to be a much better shopper than I am now. Um, shopping used to bring me a joy that I don't feel anymore, but having life experiences is what She's I She's becoming a millennial, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> In my second childhood. Um, an opportunity to make new friends. And the last one, maybe a chuckle, is when you are living in an RV, there's no room for your relatives. But on the other hand, when we go visit our relatives, we bring our own house with us so we don't have to impose on them. Which right. I think is important. Nice way to visit people. Right. And without having to ex- have expectations that they will put you up for the duration of your trip. So, as we, this ship also is very, very smooth. I could not tell we're moving in now or any time since we've left. Is it the ship or is it our location? The Caribbean well, uh, is usually pretty calm. Well, but the trip from Miami down south can, can be yeah. rough, depending on the time of the year. But this ship has been rock steady. So if you are worried about seasickness or <laughs> if you're worried about being on a ship, you don't have to worry about being on a ship because we have Central Park, which is a tree-strewn area full of greenage and stuff that makes you feel like you're indoors. Or well, in a park. You don't see the sea at all because no. there are balconies, cabins with balconies that face into Central Park and they block your view from the sea. And even if you want to get an inside balcony, inside cabin, they have full wall video screens that they're called the indoor balcony. Oh, I hope we get to see one of those on I the cabin so crawl. That'll be fun. Yes. So we will give you a full report of the cabin crawl after it's over next month and we will also be talking to you from cuba sometime sometime maybe. So don't don't send us angry emails after the first of february <laughs> number one we're sorry february is okay number two first of march number two we won't get the emails because we won't have any <laughs> wi-fi so don't bother complaining uh we'll do our best but we hope to see you in a campground near us we did have a, a, a some people who came to visit us directly to, at tgo and we will be there for most of february including fabulous rv navigator potluck potluck which is going to be on february 20th really? i think so so that if you will be in the area on february 20th we will give you a pass to get into, well, you can just come into TGO and visit us and uh, join us at the potluck. And we'll actually give you something to bring to eat. <laughs> You'll get an assignment. <laughs> You'll get an assignment, right. But we need to know fairly soon. So keep February 20th open so that you can visit the RV Navigators at the Great Outdoors. If you're in our neck of the woods. Other than that, we hope to see you in a campground near us. Bon voyage. Bon voyage. Bye now. Bye now.